going to invite at this time Suzanne and Mitch to come up here. You say, we're doing all kinds of different things today. We are. We're doing different, different stuff today, kind of leading up to Christmas. And so today, we are, thanks for joining me up here, guys. Does it look comfy? It is. And so what we're going to do today um, for our sermon, something a little unique, that uh, me, Suzanne, and Mitch um, are each going to talk about one aspect of the Christmas story. But what we're going to do that's unique today is we're going to use some artwork. And you're going to go, wow, those aren't really artsy people. We're going to use some artwork, some classical stuff, some not so classical stuff, um, to try to do something, to try to communicate um, the the real, the heart, the experience of the Christmas message. And the reason we're doing this is, you know, we're coming up to Christmas time and it gets so repetitious. People think, oh, it's just Christmas, I heard a Christmas story before and, and uh, maybe some people are like, you know, it's wonderful and some people just kind of, you go into, into um, Christmas mode and it's more about presents and everything else. So what we wanted to do is come up with a way that we could experience the heart of the Christmas message um, Beyond the familiar story. And I'm going to start, and then we're going to have Mitch and then Suzanne. And I'm going to start, and I'm, when I start, I'm going to start before the manger. I want to start with the Christmas story before the manger, before the wise men, before all the angels show up and do everything. Um, but we kind of generally think of the Christmas story. What we'll, look, what we'll be looking at at, at, um, at uh, Christmas Eve. But I'm going to start before that. I want to start on the day that the angel Gabriel visited Mary um, in her home and did something amazing. He invited her to become part of the plan of God to bring a savior into the world. Can you just imagine that? Invited by an angel from God, invited to become part of the plan of God to bring the Savior of the world into the world. And so I want to read part of that story today. If you have your Bible, you can open with me to Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to read part of the story from Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 26. Let's read about this experience with Mary and the angel. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. To a a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of a salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you'll bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, 
may be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, want a little quiz question? Historically, what does the church world call this event? Anybody know? It's called the Annunciation. I heard it. The Annunciation. It's where the angel Gabriel announced to Mary um, God's plan to include her in his grand scheme and to come into the world as a person and that Mary would give birth to the Son of God himself. And there's so many things that we could talk about from this encounter. But to me, one of them stands out as we're trying to get experience a Christmas story. And it comes from verse 30. Look at verse 30. Look what it says. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. Have you ever thought about that? What did Mary, why did Mary find favor with God? Ever thought of that? So here's this girl, an angel shows up, and of all the things the angel could say, the angel says, Mary, you've found favor with God. Why could that be? Why could Mary have found favor with God? This idea of finding favor with God. We said what it, one thing it couldn't be, it couldn't be the things she accomplished. Because let's think about who Mary is. Does anybody know about how old Mary probably was during this time? Just take a guess. 14? Yep. 12, 13, or 14. In their custom back then, imagine that. In their culture back then, Mary would have been engaged to be married. About 12, 13, or 14 years old. She would have been married at 13, 14, or 15 years old. That was the common rule. You've got a couple daughters. What do you think about that, Mitch? That'd be very weird, and you'd not be a happy camper probably. So getting your daughters married off at 12 years old. But she was about 12 years old, 12, 13, or 14 years old. She was also would have been rather poor. Um, and we know that because she was a Jewish girl living under Roman oppression. And so the Romans had come in, and they were really, you know, just, just kind of taking all the stuff that the, that the Jews had, and they went did that everywhere. So she would have been a rather poor girl, a young girl, and she was really a, a girl that was quite common. Do you know what the most common girl name was back then? Mary. She was quite common, and um, we know this, her family was not well known. There was nothing about her family that would make her um, be selected by God. So here we have this young, rather poor, um, unknown, ordinary Jewish girl. So why did she, of all the people on planet Earth, find favor with the Lord? Well, I think there's a painting that can help us discover why. And I want you to look at the painting that's put up. Anybody ever seen this painting before? It's one of my favorites. It's called the Annunciation. And it's a picture. It's, it's the, the picture of Mary in her room with the angel Gabriel coming and talking to her and inviting her into the story of God. Now, I know it's going to be a little tough to do what I want to do but because you can't get real close and see it, but, but I want us to think about this picture. Let me tell you about the author for, or the painter first. The painter was a man named Henry Ozawa Tanner, and he was an African-American painter from the late 1800s. And get this, his mother 
was born a slave in the South, and she escaped slavery in the, in the Underground Railroad, and she married a Northern African-American pastor in the North. And he influenced their son greatly, uh, Henry, and he painted a number of pictures that depict biblical scenes. And I just, I just absolutely love this painting. Someday I'm going to own a copy of this painting. I think Suzanne actually looked online with me for a while back. We're going to, someday we're going to buy a, pick, a copy of this, of this painting. I love it. And um, as I look at this, I said it could answer a question for us. Why would God choose Mary? So look at the painting. And there's no right or wrong answer of what I'm going to ask you right now, but what virtue or character quality do you think the picture captures about Mary? Just think about that for a minute. You look at her sitting there, her hands are folded on her lap. She's looking at her head's cocked, kind of looking down a little bit. What character quality or virtue do you think that, that Tanner captures or tried to depict about Mary? I heard it over here. Humility. I think that is the character quality that Tanner was trying to, to capture when he painted his picture called the Annunciation. Um, as you're closer, you can see the expression on her face um, of just this kind of downward gaze. Um, not afraid, but kind of like looking, looking a little, looking humble. And what's interesting in the, in the picture is that that... that, that that light, that pillar of light represents the angel Gabriel. And, and again, because it's because of, we have reproduction on the screens, you can't fully see the picture. At least I can't in the back screen I'm looking at. Um, on the top of the picture, the, the light crosses a bookshelf or a shelf rather on the thing. And that makes a cross. And it's, it's speaking. He's speaking saying that, that even at this point, it's looking to the cross. But what I see on, on her face, I see humility. She looks humble. And that lines up with her reaction when the angel called her favored one. Because you remember what word it said about Mary in the story I just read? When he called her a favored one, do you remember what her reaction was? It said she was perplexed. In other words, she couldn't figure out why anyone would see her as favored or special. Why would anybody see her as special? She was just a poor, average, some, a humble little Jewish girl. I believe that her humility was the virtue that caused her to find favor with God. After all, that was the quality that God had complimented other times in the people he had used elsewhere in the, in the story of the salvation history of, of humanity. Think of Moses. What was the character quality that God pointed out that was important for Moses, to Moses? Anybody know? Humility. He was said that he was the most humble man there was. So Mary was humble, meaning that she, had, she was free from arrogance because of something. Not because she wasn't good or worthy. She was free from arrogance because she recognized that all she had and all she was really came from God. She recognized that God was the hero of the story and that then as humility she was willing to be part of the story no matter what, no matter what it cost her. She just said, "Be it done to me according to your will." She was humble. That's humility. And I want you to think of something today as we think about humility. Isn't humility really the virtue of the Christmas story? 
Think of Jesus' incarnation. We think of Jesus coming, we think of a little baby, but it's a picture of the incarnation. God himself coming in flesh. That's what the incarnation is. And his coming as a man is the ultimate expression of humility. He humbled himself. He left the wonder and the joy of the Trinity of heaven to come to humanity so that we could get a better grasp of his reality and he'd actually give his life for us. The Christmas story is a story of God giving up everything for others, putting others first. That's what humility is all about. So the first thing we want you to think about today as we think about the Christmas story is this idea as we try to experience the Christmas story is what the heart of the Christmas story is. And the heart of the story is humility. That Mary expresses humility and Jesus came in humility. And what does that say to us? That as his people, we should walk in humility. We should understand that it's not about us. We're not the hero of the story. God is. We're valued. We're important. He looks at us and says, hey, favored one. But we understand that all that we are and all that we have is because of him. They're gifts. So the heart of the Christmas story is humility. So that's the first thing we want you to get uh, to feel or experience today um, as we think about Christmas. The second thing, and Pastor Mitch is going to talk about this, is we want to think about the response, the right response to the Christmas story. Yeah, and when, when I come to that, uh, I think about the shepherds and how they responded to their portion of the, the story. And so I want us to take a look at... Switch. Switch. Uh, I want us to take a look at Luke uh, 2.8. So if you were at Luke 1 before, just flip the page um, and really get to, you know, nine months after the Annunciation, we have the actual birth. And here's what I find striking uh, when we read this story. So starting in verse 8 of Luke chapter 2, it says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And when I read about the shepherds' experience, I just think of the awe and the wonder that they must have experienced in response to everything that they were seeing I mean, if you can picture it, they're out in the fields, and they're with their sheep. It's it's a dark night. 
you know, they're in the middle of nowhere. It's not like, uh, you know, they, they can see the lights so much from another city. Um, they're out in the fields. It's pitch black. You know, there might be a little bit of a starry night. Who knows? But not much. They're taking care of their shepherding duties, and all of a sudden, bam, there's this angel right in front of them. And, you know, after they may have checked their undergarments, they're, they're you know, they're, they're like, wow, this is incredible, right? You, you know, like, all of a sudden, there is this, this angel. And at first, I would be, you know, a little freaked out. Um, you know, I'm just going about my business, and whoa. But they, they just took it in then, and they heard what the angel said. And it's this glorious sight that is all around them saying, you know, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That is for all the people. Like, this was the first announcement to anyone that Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, had been born. And what an amazing thing that is, that the angel begins to speak, and he tells them, I know you're freaking out right now, but don't fear. Don't fear. This is good news. I'm com- In a sense, I've come in peace I've come because I wanted to tell you something that is great and that this can change your life. And so he begins to speak to that situation. And I can envision the shepherds as they're recovering from their fear. They're just simply sitting in awe. Like, wow, there's this angel talking to us. He's, he's, he's here to talk to us. We're just common shepherds. You know, we're, we're having to spend the night in the field with the sheep. You know, it doesn't get much more common than that. Maybe to an extent on the low side of common. They're not very well thought of. They're not very well liked. Um, Part of it could be because they smell like sheep. (laughs) You know, but God sent an angel to speak to them. And they're hearing the good news of the Savior being born that night in the city of David. They're hearing all about Jesus, the Messiah. And I imagine that as they let it just kind of soak in, that they're just amazed. They're just in awe of what is happening in in that entire situation. And from what we understand, these shepherds were likely shepherds for the temple flocks. They were the ones taking care of the sheep that would ultimately be sacrificed in the temple, in in the daily and all of the normal sacrifices that went on. So they knew about the Messiah's coming. They were aware. They were waiting for it just like everyone else. And this angel messenger tells them that the Messiah is now here. He has come. And he's as a baby in swaddling cloths in a manger. And the angel saying, this is the sign for you guys. You're going to, if you go, and I encourage you strongly to go, you're going to find him in a manger in swaddling cloths. He's not come as you would expect. He's not come the way that you would think, but he's come. And I can imagine, you know, I don't, we don't know how many shepherds actually there were. Um, we traditionally think three, but I can imagine that there's a common expression among them. Wow. Wow. This is incredible. Did you see that? Did you, did you, did you see that light? And, and if the angel messenger alone hadn't freaked them out, all of a sudden, bam, there's this huge host of angels all around them. I mean, if you thought the one angel brought a little bit of light, now there's this glorious picture of, like, angels all around them. 
and they're singing praises to God. They're singing glory to God in the highest. And I can just imagine they're on, you know, the ground just taking it all in. Like, what in the world is going on? But this is amazing. This is awesome. This is something that I would never have thought I would ever experience. And I just think of that awe and that wonder. And, and because of that, the angels disappear. They, they go back in, into the heavenly realm. But the shepherds, they don't just sit there and like, wow, that was really cool. Let's, you know, can you, can you pass me some more beans? Uh, they, they get on with what they're supposed to do. Like, this is compelling enough that they need to go and do something about it. And so they collectively decide to go check this out. They take that wonder and that feeling of awe that they have, and they go. And they know it's in Bethlehem. They know they're looking for a, a couple that is just given born, and this baby is going to be lying in a manger. And so they go. And here is a painting which I think ex- captures the moment when the shepherds finally come to where Jesus is. And this is called The Adoration of the Shepherds. It's by an 18th century French painter named Jean-Henri Fragonard. And I'm not a French speaker, so that could be a total butcher. Um, but what I, what I like about this, and this obviously is not a completely biblical depiction of that night, but I love the heart and the illustration that this painter gives to it. Because if you notice, they've come and they see the baby there in the center of the picture, and they are again in awe, and they are in wonder. The, there's a few gentlemen on the right hand side who are just taking it in. They're just looking at this, this baby, this Messiah that has been promised. And they just sit there and they take in the entire scene. They're reflecting on all that the angel has said. And maybe they're saying to each other, hey, look, he's wrapped in swaddling cloths, just like the angel said. Or check it out. His mom and dad have placed the baby in the manger. The angels told us that. And that's where, that's what we've gotten now to see. We're experiencing exactly what God has told us. And they're just in awe and amazement. And I I love that, that picture of sometimes we're just in awe at what God has done in our own lives. And, And, you know, we, sometimes we just have to soak it in. And yet the man in the front at the very bottom of the picture, I'm, I'm particularly struck by him because he doesn't just sit in that awe and wonder he felt compelled to do something even more above and beyond as, as a public display of worship unto God. You know, he just said, I am in so much awe and amazement at all that God has done just in these few hours. Like, he's come to tell us about this, and now I get to see it with my own eyes. I get to experience the smell of the stable. I get to hear everything that's going on, what mom and dad are saying, what, what the animals all around. I've heard what the angels have said, and now I get to experience it. And in response, he is compelled to fall down and worship this newborn baby, this promised Messiah. And he ponders all that the angels have explained to him, and he realizes this baby is the Savior. He is the fulfillment of prophecy, and I've been able to see it. I've been able to take it in, and I just love that, that heart of just bowing before the Lord, worshiping him, and, and just 
being amazed at what God has done. And for myself, I, you know, this is like an encouragement, but it's also a challenge for me to constantly have that attitude of just being able to sit and ponder and be in awe and in wonder at all that Jesus has done, all that he has done for me, all that he has done for all of us as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want this kind of attitude for myself where I can just worship him and do it freely. And it's something that just kind of wells from up within me, from deep within me, that I just want to worship and, and take that time to do that, to remember the great gift that Jesus gave us in being born in the flesh, to remember the wonderful salvation that he's given, even though I was a sinner, and to remember all that he's given me each and every day. He gives me strength. He provides for me. He gives me all the tools that I need. He's given me a beautiful family, unmarried and unbetrothed, <laughs> thankfully. Um, but I have all these blessings that God continues to give me day and day, day after day. And I just want to have that heart and attitude of these shepherds that are just in awe, you know, not only at this Christmas time, but every day of the year that I can just be filled with awe and wonder and then express that worship and spending time with him. Amen. So... Picture number one, the humility of the season. Picture number two, um, the proper response. Bow down in worship of the, to the truth of, the, of the, the Savior has come. And now Suzanne wants to talk about um, the result that should happen in us. So a few weeks ago, well, it's probably months ago now, because um, we're in, in the Luke series um, that we've been in for I don't know how long, but a while. Um, and so when we were in, in Luke chapter 2, um, there was a section of Scripture that really just stood out to me, and the Lord began just kind of showing me some things, and, and I was asking myself some questions based on it. So that's why I get to do this last one. Um, so we're going to look at Luke 2, starting in verse 22, and we're going to look at the story of Jesus being presented in the temple um, eight days after he was born. And this is the story of Simeon and Anna, but I'm, I'm focusing more on Simeon. So starting in verse 22, and yes, I have to take my glasses off now. When the time of, of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem and presented him to the Lord. So him is Jesus. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the court, temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, 
This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And so here we we see the story of Jesus being presented to the temple um, as he should have been. And Simeon, who's the priest at that time, was the one who um, accepted him. Now, I, I tried to do some, you know, investigating about facts about Simeon, and there's not a lot. I don't know how old he was. I don't know how long he served in the temple. Um, you know, there's just not a lot of detail. But what we do know from reading the scripture is that it says he was righteous and devout, that the Holy Spirit was upon him, that he had been given the promise that he was going to see the Messiah before he died. And one of the things I've, I've found interesting in that passage is that it says that the day of Jesus' presentation, that the Holy Spirit led him into the temple on that day. It was not a coincidence. And Simeon, um, from all the pictures, he looks pretty old. Okay, so I don't know how old he was, but he looks pretty old. And I don't know how old he was when he was given that promise that he was going to see Jesus. But he served faithfully. He served faithfully um, in, in the temple. He served his people faithfully. He, he served the Lord faithfully. He did not waver. You know, it, one of the things that I that came to mind when both of you were talking about Mary and, and the shepherds was what would have happened if any resistance would have come in to Mary's heart or into the shepherds and to say, I don't want to be part of this. Or wait, you know, this must have been just bad food. We had some bad beans out in the fields, and this cannot be real, and I don't feel like, you know, making the trip. I don't feel like doing that. You know, what if Simeon would have said, I don't feel like waiting. This is a promise that I've been given, but I don't, I, I'm not going to pay attention to it. I'm not going to think any more about it because I, I don't, I'm not seeing it. I'm living my life and I haven't seen it. But the thing that stands out to me in this story is, is about his faithfulness. Because the, the passage of scripture in the verses 29 to 32 shows his response. And it says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised... You may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And so the picture I've chosen for today is called Simeon's Song of Praise. And I think this is a German name, Art de Gelder, but it could be something totally different. But this is the picture, Simeon's Song of Praise. And what I want us to do is I want, as I read those verses again, I want you to look at Simeon's face and imagine what did his voice sound like and what emotion came from him. Because when I saw this, it just touched me in a very deep place. So here's what he said. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss me in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to the, uh, the, and the glory of your people Israel. 
can't you just see the the peace in him and that that sense of I have lived my life and I've seen the glory. I've seen the promise now. There's nothing else I need to do in this life. I don't need to live another day because I'm literally sitting in the presence of the Messiah. The hope is in front of me. And every bit of life I've lived up until now has been worth it for this one moment. And that just began to really speak to me a few weeks ago when, when um, and I don't think you preached on Simeon. I think it was in reading the chapter and the preparation. And what began to kind of stir in me is Simeon was waiting for that first coming of the Messiah. We're waiting for the second coming of the Messiah. You know, Acts 1, 9 through 11 says this. It says, and after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and the cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing, so as the, t- the disciples were gazing intently into the sky while Jesus was ascending, they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. We have received the same promise as Simeon. His promise was just for the first coming. Ours is for the second coming. And how are we living our lives in the reality that someday that's going to be us? Someday we're going to be sitting and looking in the face of Jesus. Are we going to be able to sit and look in the face of Jesus and say, this is it. The promise is fulfilled. I know you because I have this relationship with you. I know that this is the, the fulfillment of what's been promised because, because you're my heart. You're my everything. And, and when I was thinking about this, there's a picture that the minute I saw it just has has overwhelmed me from the first first day. And so if you want to put that up, it's called The First Day in Heaven, I believe. Yes, First Day in Heaven by Carolus Zafwat. Again, I don't know how to say that. But this is what I want my encounter to Jesus with Jesus to be. This is our promise. And this is what we should be living for every day of our life. And if someday somebody's there to see the picture of me meeting Jesus, this is what I want it to be with brown hair. (laughs) Okay? That this is what I want it to be. I want it to be that my love for Jesus and my passion for him has superseded everything else in my life. More than the man of my dreams and my kids and my grandkids. This is life. And so the question I want to end with today is, what do you want your painting to look like? Are you looking forward to that second coming of Jesus? The promise that we have that he is going to come back and he's going to gather up 
his, his disciples, his children. And we're going to live for eternity with him in a place where just love overflows and there's joy and there's peace. Or are we at a place today where we're like, I kind of forgotten about that. I've forgotten about the hope. I've forgotten about the promise. Because if you've forgotten, I hope this has been a really good reminder this Christmas season that, that yes, Jesus came in the manger and he came and he saved the world. He literally saved our lives by bringing salvation. But there's another day coming. And it's going to be a day that is going to be filled with so much joy if we, if, if we live in that awareness of it. And so I hope, I hope this has been a good, a good takeaway about what the result is, that there's a joy in our heart and a passion to end, up, end our life with that painting. The heart of the Christmas message is we come with hearts recognizing it's all about him of humility. Our response is that like the, like the shepherds, we bow in worship. And the result as we go forward is that we look forward to his return. And that would, wouldn't it, that's, that's what the Christmas is all about. That's the season we're living in right now. That's the season that we hope that you're, that's stirring a little bit in our hearts this morning. Because we know this, you're going to get busy, there's traveling, there's presents, there's, there's cooking, there's all this stuff. And that's all wonderful and good. But none of it would be anything without encountering the reality of Christ in the midst of the season. And looking forward to the fact that, that, that he's coming back. And that that picture, that picture, that someday we have the op- opportunity to have that. Amen? Let's stand together. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you that today we could, we could be a little creative and we could spend some time looking at some, this artwork from people who were moved upon by you and that that could be used to stir our hearts to experience you more fully. And Lord, we pray now that as we um, go through this Christmas season that truly, Lord, we would experience you. We would worship you. Lord, we'd look for your, for your return. And Lord, I would ask this for every single person in this place. That if anyone in this place would, does not know you as their Savior and their Lord. Doesn't know you beyond just the story of a baby who grew up and was crucified, but but doesn't know you as their Savior and their Lord, that their hope is not for this reunion someday with you, that right now you would just breathe into our spirits that you love us, that you would just breathe into their spirit, anyone who doesn't know you, that you love them and that you're here right now for them. And that right now, in the quietness of their moment, they can say, I need you in my life right now. 
I need you in my life, Jesus. I give my life to you. I want a brand new start. I want you to be my Lord. I need you to to wipe away the shame and the guilt and the hurt of the past. And from this day forward, I want to walk with you. Lord, we know this. That's the greatest Christmas present any person could ever receive. And I want to pray for you a blessing that the Lord himself told the priests, Aaron, to pray over the priests. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.